There is a small town in Idaho called Alamo. It's in the southern corner of the state. And if you go onto the town green, you will find a plaque that reads, dedicated to the memory of those who lost their lives in a most horrible Indian massacre in 1861. 300 immigrants westbound, only five escaped. Erected by the S and D of Idaho pioneers, that is the sons and daughters of Idaho pioneers. It's just horrible to think of. Families forging their way to settle in Idaho, cut down in cold blood. The story goes that one of the women who escaped was carrying her child in her arms. Now, throughout the history of colonization, there have been battles where native peoples have killed settlers. In 1835, in Florida, 108 were killed, but of course they were carrying guns and were looking for a fight. So maybe that one doesn't count. But if we look at the history records, this massacre in 1861 would have been the second most blood loss of Native Americans reacting against their indigenous settlers, or their non-indigenous settlers. 300 people, 295 died, five walked away. Well, one of them was a baby, so it was carried away, but it's a great story. Yet, despite the plaque, that's all it was. A great story. For this massacre didn't happen. Not even a smaller one that was exaggerated. There was actually nothing to exaggerate. When a historian looked into the claim of this plaque, they found no newspaper headlines that announced its occurrence. In fact, no notes from the Bureau of Indian Affairs recorded such a tragedy. They couldn't even find any of the sons and daughters in Idaho that claimed those people as their ancestors. In fact, this story of this massacre was unveiled in 1938 as part of Exploration Day to celebrate the history of Idaho. The story was first appeared in Charles Wigamot's 1926 book, Reminiscences, Reminiscences of Early Days, about the history of Idaho. And he got the story from a friend who got it from a friend who got it from a friend. Even after this plaque was discredited, it didn't seem to bother the sons and daughters of Idaho pioneers or even the town, for they were reluctant to move it. As Thomas King says in his book, The Inconvenient Indian, they were defending the lie that was part of the cultural history of the area, which of course it was. They thought this had existed for most of their lives, and for it to be taken away was taking a part of themselves. History, Grace Lee Boggs says, is not the past. It is the stories we tell about the past. How we tell these stories triumphantly or self-critically Metaphysically or dialectically has a lot to do whether we cut short or advance our evolution as human beings. History is not the past. It is like that plaque 
erected in that small town in Idaho. History is the stories we tell about the past. I wonder what stories you have heard about Indigenous people when you were growing up. Did you grow up with John Wayne and the Lone Ranger? Heroic stories of defending against Native warriors? Or did you have the more subtle story of European triumphalism about us bringing much-needed civilization to this continent? Or were you like the majority of us, in which there was a notable absence of Native peoples from your growing up? Almost an intentional subduing of an entire people's history and stories and culture. A blank space in which no name to write. Now, I grew up in Canada, and I grew up in the West, and all I knew about Indigenous people as a child really could be found in a shoebox. And so if you looked in that shoebox, you'd probably find cardboard figures of Native Americans living in frozen dioramas. For in school, we had to construct, you know, teepees out of popsicle sticks and headdresses out of plastic feathers as we tried to learn about Native peoples. All I knew about the people who lived on the land for centuries before I was born was how they used to live, their customs and way of life. But I was never taught to make the link between those stories of the past and what was going on in the present. I was never told that these people still lived, still breathed, and that I could find them not tens of kilometers away living in downtown Calgary, in condominiums or shelters. That they were not like some lost civilization, not like ancient Greece or Egypt, lost forever in time. They were right in my back door. When I was in high school, I took that shoebox and I put it on the shelf, for we started to learn about Canadian history. And I started to learn the stories of what my ancestors from Europe did when they met these people. And I started to learn about that word, contact. Did you know that Native peoples, many of them call North America Turtle Island? I didn't. In high school, we learned a terrible history. We learned that my ancestors came over to this land and destroyed lives and cultures and the peoples who lived in this very place. Sometimes they didn't mean to, for you see, Europeans, as you know from this area, brought with them disease and plagues that intentionally and unintentionally wiped out whole peoples. In fact, when the Massachusetts Bay Colony arrived here in what would become Massachusetts, there were no native peoples in this vicinity. They had all succumbed to smallpox. I also learned that we saw these people as less than human, that we put them on reserves, tiny parcels of land. We took away their children. We tried to teach them our language. I learned a story that broke my heart and paralyzed me from thinking that justice, compassion, or a future would be possible. But almost as soon as I started to learn this history, I started to hear the murmurs of another one. 
I heard a story that while all of this was true, that at first contact between Europeans, the French, the British, the Dutch, with Native Americans, that at first contact, there was a period of time in which there was not barbaric slaughter. But there was a moment of friendship, of mutual understanding, that contact was actually welcomed on both sides. That for the early years of European explorations of the Americas, friendship, coexistence, and collaboration existed in relative peace amongst those who came across and who had lived here. Sure, they were different. Sure, they came from different places. But they shared and they became connected. It was only when the Europeans no longer thought they needed their indigenous kindred that the slow road to attempted annihilation began. And I started to take so much hope in that story. That story that at first contact we saw mutual humanity, that we shared and that we traded. That there was a spark of beloved community and compassion that existed all those years ago. The first step for me was to go back and to learn the history. To look at the truths that hide amongst facts that point to the possibility of beloved community. And to look into the practices and the stories that self-critically and dialectically as Grace Lee Boggs would tell us, would contribute to our advanced evolution of our humanity. The late media scholar George Grimner says, we experience the world through stories. Whoever tells the stories of a culture define the terms, the agenda, the common issues we face. Where is it, what do our stories and our histories tell of indigenous people? What do we wish they would say? What would we do if we searched for a new history? Not one solely of genocide, but one of possibility for reconciliation and connection. And so I embarked on a journey to learn and understand what happened to the indigenous people in my homeland. So I learned that 113 years before my birth, in a place not too far from my hometown, at a junction called Blackfoot Crossing, representatives of five indigenous nations and the Canadian government gathered to sign a treaty. And a treaty is an agreement between parties, but also with the great spirit of life. And it was a treaty that welcomed people to come and live alongside each other, settlers and indigenous people, so long as they continued to extend friendship and mutual peaceful cult cohabitation. This treaty was called Treaty 7. It's a simple name, but it allowed for the city of Calgary to be built, my hometown. It set the ground road for my parents to be able to immigrate from Europe. At the end of the proceedings, one of the chiefs of the Siksikai Nation, Chief Crowfoot, said, I trust that all our hearts will increase with goodness from this time forward. I hope that our hearts will increase with goodness from this time forward. What I had stumbled upon at this moment 
113 years before my birth, was a covenant forming between indigenous people and settlers, in which they promised to each other to live alongside each other. They promised to recognize the humanity of each other and hoped deeply that goodness would increase. Now, of course, that isn't what happened. But as people of covenant, as Unitarian Universalists, we all know that we break and strive away from our covenant from times to time, that we break our agreements with one another. We all know that. That is a function of our very communities. But what brings us back to right relationship time and time again is the possibility of being together and honoring that aspirational agreement that we made. So, today is, tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day. Of course, in Boston, we haven't changed the name. That would be a battle unto itself. But Indigenous Peoples Day, I think, is an opportunity to start to relearn history to relearn the stories that we are told about the past, to check in about our assumptions of Native peoples, and to start to honor their wisdom, stories, knowledge, and the resistance that they offer against the evil that is going on today. I offer that as a challenge. This sermon doesn't really have an ending, unfortunately. But there's the challenge. What story will you go and unlearn about indigenous people? Will you be surprised to learn that the Choctaw Indian Nation is the largest employer in their county in Oklahoma? Will you go and learn about the Wampanoag Language Revitalization Project? Will you go and try and explore the histories of your own homeland? to see the possibility of beloved community shimmering there. Well, that's up to you. But I wish you a blessed Indigenous Peoples Day as we walk this road together. Amen. Blessed be.